The reading for today is from Psalm 122. You can find it on page 11 of your bulletins and projected behind me. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. The word of the Lord. Well, kids, as we come to our uh, sermon today, a couple things for you to listen out for. Uh, first, uh, an instruction manual. Second, what does it mean that the sermon title is The House of the Lord? So what does that mean? We're going to try to define that, uh, and what does that mean for us today? And then thirdly, uh, cowlicks. Um, and my boys just immediately got nervous because they know what that Calic is about. So, um, uh, grown-ups, if you are, are listening um, and trying to follow along, here's where we're trying to go today. We are going to talk about the house of the Lord. Um, it really frames this psalm. It's mentioned in verse 1. It's mentioned in verse 9. Um, and so, as we look at that, we're going to talk about how we come to the house of the Lord, uh, why we come, and then how we leave. So uh, if you would, pray with me, and we'll dig in. Lord God, we thank you for your word, that it is truth and life to us. Would you work by your spirit to make Jesus more beautiful and believable to us, that our hope and our trust and our confidence in him would grow. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're preaching this summer through the Psalms. It's our practice here as a church to preach through the Psalms. This summer, we're looking at a particular subset of the Psalms. It's Psalms 120 through 134. It's 15 Psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. Each, each of those 15 Psalms has a title on the top of it um, that says a Song of Ascent. And it was used by the Israelites in their three times a year travel from wherever it was within Israel that they lived as they traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate the three major feasts of the church calendar of the year. And so they would travel and sing these songs. Um, that, you know, it would be nice in some ways, some of us um, would love this, the engineers among us maybe, would love if, if they weren't so much psalms but instruction manuals, right? If it just told us what it looked like, like if it was sort of part GPS, part like what to wear and what to bring, a what to pack list, uh, part every step kind of laid out for us. But the Psalms, they don't give us that. They're not instruction manuals in that way. They're more like journal entries, right? Have you ever gone back to one of your old journals and you're like... <laughs> Who is this person? What are all of these things in here? Who wrote these things, right? It's more like that. These are um, sometimes cries. They're sometimes um, just a recording of what it feels like to be on this journey. 
Uh, Jerusalem would have been geographically the highest point as well. So every journey would have been a journey up. And it it is uh, helpful, metaphorically, that that is actually what the journey feels like for us as well. Right As we journey, there are these different seasons of our walk with Jesus. Some of you have walked with Jesus for a very long time. And you can think about the ups and downs and twists and turns in the road of your journey with Jesus. Some of you may uh, have become a Christian very recently, or um, maybe you're still contemplating what it might look like to give your life to Jesus, to trust him as your Lord and Savior. And so you're trying to make sense of what this looks like. And so uh, you may not have experienced that yet, but you would know the feelings that are true to every human, right? These cries of distress or longing or hope or um, in today's uh, psalm a, a lot of safety and security you hear this language of kind of the arrival right um, all 15 of these psalms actually follow a pattern um, every third so they were it's five uh, the pattern repeats this way. Five groups of three. Sorry, I had to get that out. Five groups of three. And every first psalm, so 120, 123, and onward, uh, you usually get this cry of distress. There's something um, frustrating or scary, intimidating. Uh, there's a l- sense of longing. Maybe there's some sort of repentance as they're beginning the journey. So, and then the second one in the pattern is usually a, a reminder of confidence on the way, right? So you get something like Psalm 121, I lift, my eye, lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So on the journey, you're getting these reminders, these moments of confidence and trust as the uh, pilgrim is on the way. And then the third one in each set, right, 122, 125, you have this sense of uh, of being at home, uh, this arrival, right? So I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. You, You get the sense in Psalm 122 that our pilgrims have made it, right? Um, Cooper and I were in the car this morning, um, and we're t- we leave for the beach in uh, a little less than two weeks. And uh, he said this morning, I-, I don't care what time we get to the beach. We're going to pull in the driveway. I'm not even going in the house. I'm going straight to the beach. Now, I had to tell him, we're probably getting to the beach at like midnight. So we'll, we'll see. We'll figure it out when we get there, what it looks like. But there is that anticipation. And then the... the, the the joy of making it, of finally, for us, it's an 18-hour car ride, making it to the beach, and we have finally gotten there. There is that sense of arrival. Now, we can read ourselves into this psalm in a couple of different ways. I think it is helpful in celebrating Pentecost that we think about the, the, the idea of the Old Testament Israelites' journey to Jerusalem coming to the presence of where, where the presence of God dwells. And for us to see our weekly worship rhythm in that pattern, right? We don't have a, a geographic destination. Um, it wasn't one particular nation in the way that Israel was blessed to be a blessing. At Pentecost, 
the New Testament church, right, steps into the role of that Old Testament Israel was uh, fulfilling in the Old Testament. The church is the new Jerusalem. We are the place where God has set his love and blessed the church to be a blessing to the world around us. There's a parallel between Old Testament Israel and the New Testament church. And so our journey, as it were, as we think about arriving to worship, is one of hopefully joy. Uh, for most of us, it's voluntary. I know there are some, uh, maybe some kids here um, that were dragged, right? Uh, maybe that happens. But for most of us, right, there is this sense of wanting to be here and participating in worship. And maybe you arrive with that same sense of joy uh, on this journey that we come and we get to exhale. We get to breathe uh, because we've made it to worship. It should be, for the Christian, in some ways, the high point of our week. The glory of the Sabbath day itself, the, the joy that we have coming to church should be, mirror, it should be a mirror of what's happening here in Psalm 122. And that really gives us some insight into what it is to be the house of the Lord, right? That the house of the Lord in Psalm 122 would have been Jerusalem. We get this picture uh, in verses two through five of this well-built city. Everything's in its place. Everything's in order. It would have been beautiful. It would have been a long journey for everyone to get there. And everything is just in its place. And there's this uh, framework that comes, we'll talk about that in a minute, but it is, it is this beautiful place to arrive to. But it is ultimately significant, not because it was the capital of Israel or the seat of power, but it was the place where God says, I will dwell here, I will make my tabernacle here. And because that's true of the church, right, the house of the Lord imagery is our worship. As we come, God invites us into worship. He calls us from wherever we are. He calls us in. He draws us to himself. We see the beauty of Jesus and we worship. We confess our sins. We, we are forgiven of our sins. We hear his word read and preached. We, uh, we take the Lord's Supper. We're strengthened by God's grace and we're sent out again. And that rhythm, right, that visiting the house of the Lord, it gives us a, a, a regular pattern for what our weeks are supposed to look like as we come to worship together. The house of the Lord is the place where God dwells. And for us, that is here in his church with his people. Now, how do we come to the house of the Lord? I think there are a couple of things that are helpful here. It's a, this may be a, um, a small point, but I think it's helpful. If you have your Bibles or your device, you can look back at Psalm 120. The way Psalm 120 starts, it says this, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me, deliver me, O Lord. And then it goes on from there. Psalm 121 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And in Psalm 122, you get a little bit of a shift. There's a, there's a slight change in pronouns. Look at 122 verses one and two. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. There's this beautiful corporate uh, sense to our worship together. 
Uh, I heard a pastor say this once, uh, I think this is really helpful, that the Christian life is deeply personal, but it's never meant to be lived in isolation. The Christian life is deeply personal, but never meant to be lived in isolation. And we get that sense here as we read verses one and two. Let us go to the house of the Lord. If you keep reading uh, in verse four, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, you get this picture of the different tribes of Israel in all of their diversity still coming together and raising their voices. They would have sung these same psalms together. And there's this unity, even in the difference among the tribes, there would have been this unity as they raise their corporate voice together and sing in praise of who God is. And so we come to the house of the Lord together for all the good in that and all the bad, right? That we come as sinners, we come uh, as selfish people uh, at times, We come with our own priorities and what we think is right and how things should be done. We take our opinions and we elevate them to doctrine, right? We do do that really well, sometimes uh, extremely well in the PCA. And uh, it is one of the things that we have to overcome even as we come together in worship. Um, We come together in spite of ourselves at times, but we also come in all of the beautiful ways, that we are our brother's keeper, that we bear each other's burdens in worship. When it's too painful and too difficult for you to sing, brothers and sisters sing next to you. They sing for you. They'll help hold up your arms as you worship, right? There is this real beautiful sense that we do life together and we were not meant to be alone. Now, why do we come to worship? Um, As you read this psalm, there are a couple of things I think that are helpful here. The first one is to see sort of this, this framework. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, it has its own unity. It is this beautiful framework. It it reminds a traveler who would have come to Jerusalem as you enter the temple and go through all of the cleansing rituals, as you enter one court and then into the next and you see uh, the Levites ministering among the people of Israel, there was this reminder that God was the creator He is the one who uh, made us. He is the one who redeems us, who created the sacrificial system that uh, works to uh, cleanse the people of their sins for that year. He is the one who orchestrated all of that, and he provides for them, right? Um, And so they would have gotten this framework. Um, Eugene Peterson wrote A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's a book um, about the Psalms of Ascent, and I'll use it a couple of times today, but there's one story that he tells of going to visit a parishioner, and she was sitting in her chair in the living room, and she was working on like an embroidery thing. She was maybe cross-stitch or knitting or whatever, but it had those wooden hoops, Right, you get, maybe you guys have seen those before, the, the hoops, and you, um, you, know, you do the cross-stitch thing. I'm, I'm, I'm really good at this. Uh, but what she was saying is like, I, I think I know, she's saying, Pastor, I, I know my problem. Like, this 
Needlework has a frame, and I don't have one of those. My life is frameless. It's, it's without any sort of framework. There aren't any edges to it. And I, I feel on my own and isolated, and uh, like I have to create my own boundaries. And I, I think he was writing this a while ago, but that's certainly true of us today. Our culture, society would say that you are what you feel, right? And there really are no boundaries. You just think it, feel it, create it, and go do it. And that's beautiful until you try it, and it never works, right? The idea of coming to worship, coming to the house of the Lord, actually gives us a frame. It shows us our boundaries. It gives us even the glory of our finitude, that we, we aren't the creator. And actually, that's freeing because we don't bear the responsibility of the creator. <laughs> we can live in the good world that he created as one of his creatures, and that that's actually a gift to us, that the weight of being the creator is unsustainable for us. There's no way that we could bear the weight of that. And so in our expressive individualistic culture where you create your identity and you figure it out on your own, it, it's an albatross around our necks. We can't sustain, we can't survive that pressure the countless mental health issues in our schools and on our campuses and in our families and all of it is not maybe directly attributable, but it is certainly in the water that we swim in that the, the expectations on us are so high. And to come to worship every week and be reminded that there is a God who is holy there is a God who is our creator, who is our sustainer, the Lord and giver of life, and that we can come and worship him knowing that he has provided everything that we need for this life and for the next. There is a real glory to that. We have in the Bible another framework, creation, fall, redemption, consummation. We see in the pattern of our lives together, of our corporate worship together, this pattern of coming to seeing God as our creator, the one who made everything, how we've broken it, he's worked to fix it, and has promised to come back and make everything right. And it is that framework as we come into worship that we need, we need to be reminded of every week. We come to worship. Uh, Jamie Smith says, you know, we, we, uh, he's a theologian uh, professor, um, we're not shaped so much by what we do and what we think, but by what we worship. And there is this idea that the, the main thing we are are worshipers. Another pastor friend says that we have a, a busted wanter. That the, the thing inside of us that wants stuff, it's broken. And we, we, need, we, we need to be reminded that the, the desires that we have, they're not always good for us. And the freedom that we desire uh, may not be freedom at all, it might be slavery. 
And so we come in worship and we're reminded of the, sometimes the, the, the futility of our desires. And our, our desires are actually shaped by this worship service, by coming into God's presence, by having him minister to us by, our, by the Spirit. We are shaped to want the right things. We're shaped to desire what God desires, which is ultimately for our good and for his glory. Uh, Eugene Peterson says this. I think this is really helpful. I've put great emphasis in this, in this chapter in the long obedience in the same direction on the fact that Christians worship because they want to, not because they're forced to. But I've never said that we worship because we feel like it. Feelings are great liars. If Christians worshiped only when they felt like it, there would be precious little worship. Feelings are important in many areas, but completely unreliable in matters of faith. Paul Scherer is laconic. The Bible wastes very little time on the way that we feel. We live in what one writer has called the age of sensation. We think that if we don't feel something, there can be no authenticity in doing it. But the wisdom of God says something different, that we can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. Did you catch that? Let me say it one more time. The wisdom of God says something different, that we can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. Worship is an act that develops feelings for God, not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. When we obey the command to praise God in worship, our deep essential need to be in relationship with God is nurtured. You may have shown up today and you weren't feeling it. Um, Sometimes pastors show up and if they're honest, they're not always feeling it. There is a sense in which the act of doing worship grows a feeling of love for God in us. And that repetitive act of worship coming week after week, whether you're on the top of the roller coaster or all the way at the bottom, coming to worship develops, it, it grows our desire to be in love with God. It grows the depth of our faith and our trust in him. And it actually whets our appetite for what we're being sent out to go do. And that's the third piece. How do we, how do we leave? We leave basically by praying. If you look at Psalm 122, verses 6 and following, 6 through 9, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. The, the act of worship develops feelings in us that whet our appetite to see the rest of our lives, Monday through Saturday, mirror what we're doing here in worship on Sunday. That we would pray for peace, this idea of peace, shalom, in the Old Testament. Um, if I were gonna use one word, it would, it would be wholeness. It, it's not easy to, to translate that word shalom, but it would be like um, everything the way it's supposed to be. We would act with full compassion and, 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 and truth, but truth with full kindness, 
right? That there would be this wholeness. Our insides would match our outsides. Our private life and our public life would match up. All of these things, there is this integrity to the life of the believer who grows in peace, in shalom. There's the idea of security is also a little bit tricky for us. Security, we often think, oh, walls and towers and protection. And actually, the Hebrew word here, it, has more of a sense of um, leisure. One writer says it this way. It has nothing to do with insurance policies or large bank accounts or stockpiles of weapons. The root meaning of this word security is leisure. It is the relaxed stance of one who knows that everything is all right because God is over us, with us and for us in Jesus Christ. It is the security of being at home in a history that has a cross at its center. It is the leisure of the person who knows that every moment of our existence is at the disposal of God, lived under the mercy of God. I love this idea, the the picture. If I can leave you with one picture this afternoon, it is the picture of leisure, of the man or the woman, the child that walks into our worship service without the weight of the world on their shoulders, who looks and knows that because God created us and sent Jesus to live the life that we couldn't, to die in our place and be raised to new life for us, because God has orchestrated all of salvation to draw a people together for himself, you you can rest. You can breathe. You can be honest and vulnerable. You can love people who are hard to love because you are at leisure. Your soul is so full of the confidence of all that God has done to orchestrate Jesus' coming and his finished work on your behalf that you can rest. And you can sing with joy. And you can experience the beauties of the grace of Jesus because you have that security. You have that leisure. That's the call of this psalm. That we would come and keep coming and keep coming and grow into people who can rest. Who can trust who can be shaped by this story, this plan of salvation with the cross at its center. Let me pray for us. Lord God, you are so kind to give us this word. Would you meet us? Would you be gracious to us even now as we finish our worship service? Lord, would you give us grace, the grace that we need to follow hard after you? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.